Doctor's Log. I'm Dr. Catherine Pulaski, and I really enjoy putting needles into people's heads. You'll never see me again, will you? Welcome to Reengage. <laughs> this is the show where we talk about Star Trek, the next generation, a show we have a fond familiarity with, and we respond to each episode in order from a new perspective as adult storytellers. First, I'm Greg Tito. Hi, how's everybody doing? Very excited to be here with three of my very, very fun cultural bridge officers and friends. Let's say hello to Eric Gratton. Hi, Eric. Hi, Greg. How you doing? How's everybody doing? It's so good to see y'all. It is good to see y'all, too. Kate Yeager, what's happening? Hello, Greg Tito. We're recording during the daytime, which means I am so much more awake than usual. I'm, you're, you all look so much more attractive than usual. <laughs> and it means we're not day drinking. Uh, so <laughs> this is going to be a weird one uh, in many Speak ways. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy G, what's happening? Uh, I'm all good. Uh, yes, we are recording in the day. I haven't done any day drinking, but I uh, I, I did enough last night that it's carried over a little bit, so I'm almost there. <laughs> Strong. This is the last episode of Season 2 of Star Trek The Next Generation, Episode 22, Shades of Grey. It is a piece of television uh, <laughs> that includes clips of other pieces of television generally regarded as a poor episode across the board and we are going to you know talk about it a little bit i guess as we go forward here first before we do that we are going to talk about what happened in the world during the week that this episode aired which was of course of course july 17th 1989 um so on this day was the first test flight of the u.s stealth bomber oh I remember being, you know, I'm not like a crazy military uh, fan or at all, but there's something about this plane that just screams Star Trek to me. They made a huge deal about it, too, which I always, you know, in retrospect, talking about a stealth plane in such great detail is <laughs> ironic. But I absolutely remember that that being debuted because it was supposed to be like invisible, to radar, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. And it and it looked like a like almost like a Klingon bird of prey a little bit. Like it had that weird shape to it. It did, right? With the weird triangles on the back wing. Uh, and it just it looks like a sci-fi show. I almost wonder if there was all that talk of uh, Reagan's Star Wars program uh, during the 80s too. And I wonder if they just took that that note a little too hard in the design. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, a couple days after this aired, July 19th, the NFL owners voted unanimously, I might say, to form Ooh. the World League of American Football. It operated between 1991 and 2007, which is way longer than Whoa. I thought it did. Yeah, I thought it was earlier than that and lasted shorter. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so oh, the World League. World League. I was thinking USFL. Nope. Yeah. So the World League, WLAF, I remember this being uh, also talked about as a big deal is trying to bring the the form of American football to more audiences across the world. Uh, it failed spectacularly, I might add. But this was like, this was Barcelona and Frankfurt. Yeah. Am I remembering that right? I, I paid attention to that some every summer because uh, it, it would sometimes use recent draft picks from the NFL almost as a developmental league too. So you could check out some of your more recent 
team's picks. I liked the World Football League. It was a cool idea. Uh, I think yeah. people just thought, oh, they people just hadn't really been, uh, people around the world hadn't been exposed to all of the stri- st- strategery that went on uh, with American football as opposed to soccer. And, sure, uh, but they had the Scottish Claymores. Like, that's that's some shit. Right? They tried to try to, to get in on the cachet there, um, and I just don't think the audience has really ate it up anywhere else. Yeah. But in, uh, you know, I, the college to NFL pipeline, I think, was really strong, and that's just not strong anywhere else in the world. And then uh, this is continuing over the course of the summer as well as everything, but 1989 is known as uh, the revolutions of 1989 happening it, we saw some of the calls for democracy in uh, China happening. We went into that into detail, but there are several events over the course of this entire year, which basically leads to the end of communism in general. Uh, the trade union solidarity won a, a huge victory in the first partially free election in Poland, uh, which led to the end of uh, communism in that country this summer. Um, and Hungary also in June of this year, began dismantling uh, its entire section of uh, the physical Iron Curtain that was there in uh, Eastern Europe. And so some of these events start making the dominoes fall so that uh, eventually the fall of the Soviet Union and the reunification of Germany, all of these things are happening uh, very much uh, during this uh, summer. And it's topical because Hungary's putting it all back up. (laughs) Are they? I mean, not physically, but yeah, Hungary and Turkey have uh, gone the other direction in recent years. Yes. Poland uh, has some right-wing shit happening, too. It's nuts. It is this strange pendulum swing, right, where it was during this time that there was this huge swing of things are looking up in the world uh, as far as um, the spread of what we thought where we, you know, we were the, the pill that we were forced to swallow is that democracy was the best thing ever. And uh, just more, if you just get some democracy up on those people, everything's going to be good. But there was this this kind of utopian feeling, uh, some of which buoyed by 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 Star Trek uh, during this time. At least, you know, <laughs> my my 11, 12 year old self was like, oh, things are going to get better. And then you're right, Eric, things things uh, as they turned out did not get uh, any better at all. Well, and the places that we installed weren't really democratic. The places that that had help from mainland Europe had had a better chance. But right. like we were busy fucking with uh, Central America at this point. <laughs> so we weren't installing democracy anywhere. But uh, it, it certainly was fa- fascinating to see. I agree, like the Reagan messaging and the Bush one messaging was all democracy, democracy, democracy. Right. But uh, that's that's not what we were actually exporting. You could hope maybe that this one, you know, this pendulum swing is going to make it swing farther back once again to uh, to more uh, liberal democracy in the fall of capitalism. But, you know, that's just a pipe dream at this point. Yeah, it ain't going to go quietly into the night. Uh, so let's get into what was happening through the entertainment of this time in July 1989. I'm so excited. Uh, one of my favorite songs was number one. If You Don't Know Me By Now by Simply oh. Red. And I oh. must say, I love this version. The original version is lovely, but this version is the version I grew up with. If you don't know me by now, you will never, ever, ever know me. Oh, so fucking good. Uh, just <laughs> iconic it. song of that time period for me. Yes, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes were fantastic. 
Simply Red was just the next step down the road in the 80s. <laughs> uh, number one movie continued to be Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, in the entertainment world, the Splash Mountain attraction opened at Disneyland Ooh. after five years of planning. If you have not seen on YouTube the opening announcement of Splash Mountain, it's this fantastic, like everyone is in primary color construction gear and they do a hip hop uh, song and dance about the opening of Splash Mountain. It is what? tone deaf and terrible and so good. So good. If you if you have the time, uh, do yourself a little favor and, and look that up. Fuck yeah. Now, of course, I don't know if everyone knows uh, that ride is being rethemed as the Princess and the Frog ride and will be opening sometime uh, in the near future. Um, so we have that to look forward to. That one thing to look forward to. That one, that one thing. Um, <laughs> we had some births, uh, Juno Ooh. Temple, Rory Culkin, and Daniel Radcliffe all were born during this week. Daniel Radcliffe, um, holy crap. I know, right? Uh, and uh, we did have uh, a death that was very significant to me. Uh, on July 18th, Rebecca Schaefer, the 21-year-old star of My Sister Sam. My Sister Sam. Was shot yeah. and killed by an obsessed fan who had been stalking her. Um, and this led to stricter stalking laws in California. Uh, Marsha Clark, actually from the OJ trial, actually prosecuted the case. Uh, and led to federal laws regarding the release of personal information through the DMV because that is how uh, they found her. He, he got a um, private detective to find her address who just did a freedom of information through the DMV, which you can no longer do uh, because of this. But I loved that show, uh, My Sister Sam. It was like just my jam. And I remember- It was Pam Dauber, right? Was the older sister? Uh, yeah, exactly. But I just remember being rocked by this because it was an actress. She was young. Uh, and it was just so tragic. Anyone else remember this? It was it was just a big deal. Oh yeah, very clearly. It was one of the more popular shows at the time. And that's uh, my, 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 my happy sad time in pop culture <laughs> land. We like to, similar to last episode, we like to bring it all up and then cut it all back down. And then I'll again. bring you down. But don't forget yeah. Simply Red. Uh, Jimmy G, let's talk about what was going on behind the production of this episode. Uh, and then I'll go to Eric for all of the wonderful guest stars that are in this episode. Oh, wait. <laughs> Love it. Well, as we talked about in uh, previous episodes, it may have been the last uh, one or two. Maurice Hurley was on his way out the door. He had uh, butted heads with. Uh, Gene Roddenberry um, because he was uh, like Pete Carroll and the Seahawks uh, just interfering all the time mm. um, and uh, getting in the way with story development and where uh, writers wanted to take the story. So this was his very last episode. <laughs> it was uh, it was filmed in three days, which is like fast food style uh, uh tv making uh who knows how much of his heart was really in it it was a short script so they had to find some filler uh to make it a full episode <laughs> um and uh he is on record for saying he thinks it is the worst star trek episode in all of the star trek universe he sounds a little proud of it <laughs> so it's like i did this piece of shit <laughs> I, I, crap I didn't out. even give a fuck. <laughs> Don't flush. I want everyone to see this. <laughs> yeah. 
That's what I feel like every morning. <laughs> so, I mean, that might be a little uh, a precursor to how we all feel about the show. I don't know. I don't want to speak for anybody, but he hated it. Jimmy, you can speak for me. Eric hates it, too. Thank you, Jimmy. You're welcome. So, yeah, we don't have any. It's just like what well, I think I read something that this was one of the smallest casts. Wait, though. wait, wait. I need to take some time <laughs> to talk about these guest stars. Let's do it. So settle in, buckle up, because we have no guest stars at all. Fuck off. Moving on. Exactly. We do have, of course, uh, Dr. Catherine Pulaski uh, figures prominently yes. in this one. And I would love to spend some time chatting about her right at the beginning, actually. Yeah. This is it. our last time. Miss Catherine Pulaski, the brilliant Diana Moldar, was saddled with a tough fucking character. So she left at the end of this season or she was not asked back. And uh, the poor lady went on to uh, immediately have two Emmy nominations for L.A. Law. So everything went just <laughs> fine for her. <laughs> the next two years, she was nominated for her villain, very evil villain on L.A. Law, um, Rosalind Shays or Roz. Uh, they're doing an L.A. Law um, revamp and reboot, and I am desperately in hope that we see Roz in that episode and that series as well. But she was, you know, she got her start on, in, on Broadway in 1964. She did a ton of stuff in the late 60s, early 70s with uh, young Burt Reynolds. She did a ton of stuff with Gene Roddenberry. She did two different episodes of the original series before she came on um, as Doc Pulaski. Uh, she, <laughs> she did the voice of uh, Leslie Tompkins on Batman the Animated Series for two more years, even after um, L.A. Law stopped. She did tons of TV movies. She did tons of actual movies, a bunch of 70 um and some 60s flicks that is a mixture of classics and things that should be classics like uh the swimmer with burt lancaster is truly a wonderful movie uh the lawyer one more train to rob these are fun flicks uh so i i recommend looking up her 70s output all the way through and her 90s and 80s output on television uh, what, do you guys have memories of her outside of her time as Dr. Pulaski? She did preside over the uh, Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, and she was on the board of SAG for a while. Really a very influential person. I don't have any memories of her other than as mm -hmm. of Dr. Catherine. I think I remember seeing you know, the promos for L.A. Law and her, her turn mm -hmm. on that, um, but that was just not something that we, we watched. We didn't get into the procedurals of... Uh, of uh, of Stephen Botchko. Yeah, exactly. Uh, big, big miss for me. What about you guys? I absolutely lost track of her after Next Generation. Um, good to know that she continued on because I do think, you know, a after all is said and done, I think she's a wonderful actor who was given a, a, a shit uh, role to step <laughs> into. Um, uh, hard, hard shoes to fill and also just uh, a complicated... Um, inconsistent character uh to play around with do you all remember the play to jillian on her 37th birthday which yes. was super popular in the 80s and 90s while we were coming up she was the original jillian she did a ton of oh, stuff wow. on the new york stage that was at ensemble theater company or ensemble studio theater sorry 
Dr. Catherine Prolaski is a character that is much maligned, I think, in Remembrance. And then going back and watching this entire season, I get some of the criticism, but I also really enjoy her turn on here. I was not adult enough to kind of realize the subtext of her relationship with Worf. I think that changes a lot of the thoughts about this character. Uh, and then some of the meanness that was attributed to her kind of is just more of her practicality. If anything, I think opinion is too much guided by what she wasn't, right? She wasn't Bones. She wasn't uh, Dr. Beverly Crusher. And I think she tried to use elements of both of those or the writers tried to use elements of both of those in her character and then didn't give her enough uh, to be on her own other than her uh, relationship with Will Riker's dad. <laughs> and Worf. What did you think, Jimmy? Did your did your character, your, your, your estimation of her character change in this reviewing? No, she's still a bitch. <laughs> right. I, but the, the actress is amazing and I remember her from Star Trek because that's uh, what I was brought up on what she did with the character as an actor is great what the writers did to her is perhaps unforgivable uh, but that doesn't change the journey the character went on whether it's her fault or not there was just no for me uh, there is no purchase to, to grab on and, and care about her Um so her leaving when she left originally, I was joyful for, and I'm joyful now because I know that Crusher's coming back and she's just a better character. They give her more, they, they care about her enough to write her better, to give her better stuff. And uh, for whatever reason, she was never given that. And for whatever reason, she chose not to be a titled character. She decided she wanted to be a special guest star the entire season, mm. which... I don't know why, but it does, you know, you can surmise from that. She didn't intend to stick around mm -hmm. on this show. I think it's, uh, it's negotiated by your agent and uh, what you can do with that is it ensures that your name comes up last, uh, which oh, is, okay. yeah. which is a, a, a useful thing for, yeah, for, for some sure. actors. Yeah. It's like the, and uh, in the big list yeah. in the beginning of movies they're like and featuring or and you know so right. right so the number one is best and the last is second best that makes sense yeah still didn't like her no fair <laughs> <laughs> what did you think kate you've gone on a journey with your fandom of, of pulaski over this season uh you know i do think i understand her more and some of my uh initial reactions to her as, as a kid were were sort of unfounded i think i think a lot of the hatred of her is deeply buried in misogyny which i also own uh, in that so much of her practicality we love that in bones right we love the gruffness and the sort of no nonsense and the non-emotional side of bones but when we see it in a woman we're like especially after having crusher who is sort of the epitome of open-heartedness and and compassion and and care uh i think we're turned away from that so that's one sort of thing to to bear in mind but i also think like i said i think that she was given a a short stick um as a character um but I did enjoy her relationship, her growing relationship with Worf. I really did. It did make me love her more. Um, knowing her backstory with with Will's father made her more intriguing. I, I sort of want a, a spinoff of the Pulaski Files because I feel like her pre-coming onto the ship was an amazing adventure. 
and a great ride. And I bet that she would be, you know, a, a plucky and uh, hard nosed, you know, protagonist that we would root for. Um, but coming in to this tight knit cast and replacing someone who the audience didn't want replaced, that's a, it's, it's, it's rough. It was tough, right? And they also grafted on, and especially in this episode, which we'll get to now, they grafted on a lot of characteristics that didn't seem to fit, like her distaste for the dis the transporter. Just right. felt like that was a detail that you're like, okay, that's bones. Then you're transposing on this, you know, irascible doctor. I was like, let's give her something that would be more <laughs> specifically Pulaski like, uh, which you know we, we we saw a little bit, but not enough. All right, so this episode is Shades of Grey. It opens uh, with a small away team of Jordy and Riker on Serata 4. And poor Will Riker has got an injury. We don't get to see the injury happen. We just get to see him lamenting a, a wound to his leg and they want to beam him back up. But O'Brien has got some, uh, some, some, some qualms about it. They mention very quickly that it's the very first time anyone has set foot on that planet. And he's barely wearing socks walking through a swamp. <laughs> like... I I don't love bringing up laziness, but like that shit is some lazy writing. <laughs> Word. No protective gear <laughs> whatsoever. Mean, Jesus they've got, Christ. They've got their nylon uniforms on and that it. Yeah. They very quickly say there's some microbes in <laughs> the uh, leg of Riker, which is not, you know, they don't want to bring, beam them right back up because there might be some infection going on. And uh, Pulaski is summoned to the transporter bay and looks at it and is like, yep, that seems weird. Send me down there. <laughs> Without any protection. No. <laughs> yeah. Because we learned nothing from Riker's predicament. Eventually, I figure you got a pretty good episode just sending one person at a time down. <laughs> Each time. Eventually sending a horse and a bear yeah. And you have to transport them back carefully because the fox can't go with the wheat because it'll eat Right. Them. Don't forget about the chickens. <laughs> it's a weird <laughs> problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is where we get the back and forth with Cole Meany and uh, Diana Moldauer. I actually kind of like this comedy bit. It definitely feels more like two veteran Broadway actors being able to, to kind of trade some barbs. Uh, Cole Meany, or I guess O'Brien says, uh, oh yeah, I hope I got these coordinates right deadpan the classic just fucking with you doctor uh and she has a great uh, line back saying like i love it just as much as i love witty transporter chiefs <laughs> then he gives you a basically a and and sends her down right it's a, it's a couple of really fun nazis uh there they go to the, the surface and Riker is in the shit uh what do you guys think of this set there's only three sets used in this uh -huh. again to save money uh, so they have the the the, tri the the tropical planet, the transporter room, and sick bay are the only three sets, uh, new sets used in this. Uh, so yeah, what did you guys think of this this planet the way it looked? It looked pretty cheap to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing what we know about the episode and 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 uh, you know that they were out of money by the time they got here, it's actually impressive that they sort of did the planet because they very easily could have started it with. Will got hurt off screen. This is terrible. Right. I wonder, uh, I did wonder like what mishmash of sets we were looking at, like that it was all mm. the leftovers from every planet that they had been on. 
and they sort of just like some of Farpoint, yeah. some of some of Worf's calisthenics programs in here a little bit <laughs> in three days to find all that stuff, put it together and shoot it. So, I mean, that tells you how little time they devoted to each aspect of, the, <laughs> of this episode. Riker's died, got pain, numbness in his leg. feels very strange. You got numb tongue? You got numb tongue. I can't walk you got on numb it. Tongue. And they bring him back up to sick bay so that uh, Pulaski can look at this infection a little more closely. Uh, and then we roll credits. <laughs> Picard uh, has a log entry talking all about this. And then uh, he goes to go visit his, his first officer in the sick bay. Very concerned about what's happening with him. They basically say, like, look, Pulaski's got to go look at, uh, you know, figure out what's happening here with some science. Go away. Picard. I have to say that Riker is the same type of patient that I am mm. in that I will I will make everybody in the room laugh and I will hide how terribly I am doing uh, because I don't want anyone to be too concerned about me. Like I went to the ER a couple weeks ago and I was like, look, it is no big deal. But how about airplane food? Like I was just trying <laughs> to find ways <laughs> to like entertain the people who were coming in to see me while the whole time I was like, I'm in so much pain. Definitely the time because you've got a captive audience. They have to laugh at you. They have to. <laughs> it's their job. What are they going to do? Be like, boo. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here. I, I, I appreciate that, Kate. I am that type of patient as well, I think. <laughs> I didn't realize it until you said it. I'm also very helpful. I'm like, oh, you want me to sit here? What, you want me to take my clothes off and bend over? All right, sure, whatever you need. <laughs> I have been told to stop helping before. <laughs> oh, you want me to take my own blood? I'll give it to you. I don't care. Here's my eyeball. I absolutely always forget and start getting undressed the moment they give me the, the thing, too, because I'm in theater. And so like, yeah. I'm like, oh, costume fitting. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, like they're trying to like actively leave the room and my bra is already off. <laughs> <laughs> No shame amongst theater folks, for sure. Picard then sends LaForge and Data down to the planet to kind of investigate where this uh, thing came from. It's that old trope of like, oh, if you're poisoned, you just got to get the sample of the thing that will be used to make the antidote. There's some weird back and forth here with uh, Jordy trying to, oh, this is where it's coming from. You're in a lot of danger. Oh, but I'm waiting for you to have these cat-like reflexes that Data has to save him. And I got to say, getting around budget constraints by attaching a piece of dental floss to a vine <laughs> is pretty good. <laughs> like that completely works when the vine, quote, attacks Jordy and Data grabs it. Like that's a good low tech solution <laughs> to penny pinching producers. Could you see the dental floss? I didn't see it. Did they did they remove oh, it? Oh no, but I mean that's clearly what they used. Yeah. <laughs> you know, black thread, whatever you got lying around. <laughs> it's amazing. They could, you know, maybe some prop guy's hand under the camera just actually pushing the vine, like something ridiculous. Practical props. Can't go wrong. Yep. Love. Loved it. Um, so yeah, what did you think about this whole I mean, I like that there's there's uh Jordy and Data having you know, kind of like a little bit of friend moment here, but it also just it does feel like business for the sake of business just to, to, to get something shot that they can use. Yeah, data should have gone along. Right. I It reminds me of uh, when I would have to write an, a, an essay in school and I would get out the old thesaurus <laughs> to, <laughs> to fill out, pad out pages. 
Mm-hmm. Like, yep. of course, Dana could do that on his own, but we gotta we gotta pad out that process. <laughs> <laughs> Need to make it last four minutes. Jimmy, what did you think of the props in here? Was it was it worthwhile for an entire scene? <laughs> no, there's <laughs> almost nothing about this episode that was worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I agree with Eric. Like, I, I didn't know that it was dental floss, but I do remember thinking, I was like, what the hell is he holding <laughs> when he has like the little <laughs> tweezers and he's like holding it for dear life. He's like, is it, I, I thought maybe it was like sheet candy or something. Or, like sugar <laughs> candy. Like they just yeah, peeled off yeah. and put there. Like it was, <laughs> and like, um, Kate said, it's, it's absolutely padding. I mean, it, it's, it's evident. They're like, we need three minutes. Yeah. Can you give and, us three minutes with props? Yeah. And they just said, All right, Jordy's going down. <laughs> we, gotta, <laughs> we gotta fill this out. It's terrible. Picard is there to get the report in the transporter room, which also seems a bit odd. Like, why would he be down there just to get this one report? It's because they didn't want to use the bridge set, I think. The lights were already set up <laughs> in the transporter room. <laughs> yep. Hands over the sample, which I guess is a USB drive sized uh, thing. Right. And then Data says the, uh, you know, this is this is going to be real bad for Riker going forward. And it was. And it was. It was. He had to be poked and prodded. Pulaski is trying to figure out what is going on with this thing that's in Riker's leg. She's got a mystery here. She doesn't even know what it is or how it can work. Uh, it is alien. They don't get it at all. Picard comes to try to figure out what's happening here. Has some back and forth with Riker, uh, again, being funny and and joking here while they realize like, hey, you could die. Isn't that funny? <laughs> 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 so they don't know actually if it's necessarily bad. That's the other thing too. It could be it could be benign. When someone says that, I always think of that Saturday Night Live joke where the, uh, the mispronouncing doctor uh, was like, it could be benign. <laughs> <laughs> Benignan. I graduated from Yali. (laughs) But then Troy comes and she's very, uh, you know, empathetic with what's happening here because her her bow is on the table. It's true. Being being terribly, terribly uh, selfless and heroic in his fear. Again, more (laughs) of the same. I have to imagine she got a very particular kind of headache filming this, which was right (laughs) in between the eyebrows because of all the furrowing that she had to do for three days straight. Uh, because that there, there, there's just only so many different ways to show concern <laughs> when there's no script to back it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she can't reach out to him. It's harder uh, for her to, to get in touch with him uh, through her thoughts. She doesn't know if this is just because her emotions are clouding it or if it's the disease, not really able to tell. Wouldn't it be great if she would had been lying the whole time about actually being able to hear anything so that now when they came up and asked her about it, she does that whole thing where she tries. But anyway, I think it'd be a nice uh, different uh, plot point that we could have explored. Didn't get to. She doesn't bluff uh, in the poker game very much. She, she, I don't think she even appears in the poker game, but maybe she has been bluffing this entire time. We'll oh, you know. can't let her in the poker game. That. That's that's impossible but for you, her not to cheat on that. <laughs> yeah, right. But Jordy, who can apparently tell if you're lying by using his visor, he's cool. <laughs> well, he can also <laughs> see through the cards. So. Oh, there's that. Oh gosh, I didn't even think of that. 
Do they have to use lead-lined playing cards in order for him to... <laughs> canon. <laughs> That's canon now. It's canon. Uh, they're very heavy. So they figure out that he's going to die. Poor Riker's going to die within an hour. There's a lot of stakes that are talked about in this episode. Uh, <laughs> I almost believed it. I almost believed it. They have to put it. was in... the last episode of season two, like... This is it, right. It could happen. Actually, you're right. Having a major character death uh, happen in the last episode is pretty canon. With you know Dallas and Jr. being shot and all that. Like this, they're certainly trying to play on that. Yeah, the stakes are really high, and they. It, I'm actually surprised with how much story there is for an episode that is so terrible. Um, <laughs> you know, like it, it. We could have even skipped this, except for this major canon plot point of one of the most important characters almost dying, right? Like, it's hard to ignore uh, what they've set up here, even knowing that they did it um, very sort of um, just to prove a point that they don't need money to make an episode. Uh, <laughs> or many words. Or words. <laughs> or, or writers. This uh. is the year of the writer's strike, so, like, we don't need words. We don't need money. We don't need... Um... I think this episode may have went a long way in ending the writer's strike. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're actually way more useful than we yeah, need. Give like, them whatever they want. Pay them. Pay those writers. Um, they put them in a neural stimulator uh, in, in the hopes yeah, to slow do. down this disease, uh, this condition that he has, uh, which basically is one of the most terrifying props ever. Uh, a <laughs> series of needles all around <laughs> your head coming into your temples. I mean, they have a lot of shots of those needles going in that is you know, similar to the, the cloning in uh, Up the Long Ladder where they take the samples from the stomach with mm. needles. Mm -hmm. This certainly cemented my uh, fear of uh, any anything sharp and going into me what was that movie with the character pinhead it was a it was a horror hellraiser hellraiser that's what it reminded me of like mm. something you would find with pinhead in his little collection of doodads or or the top of the head of the teddy roosevelt statue out in front of the natural history museum which has the same kind of things to keep the pigeons off him oh yes <laughs> see to me it's more the headgear that joan kuzak wears uh <laughs> in 16 candles in yes. 16 candles like that it's attached like a little yes. halo to the head that business of her trying to drink from the water fountain is <laughs> amazing oh, many things do not hold up of that movie let's be let's be clear but her performance absolutely does. Speaking of things that don't hold up, this entire act three is pretty much just clips of previous episodes. These are the more neutral uh, to passionate clips where we get to see the array of people that Riker has made out with, uh, including the Edo, the wonderful scantily clad mm -hmm. folks from the planet that tried to kill Wesley from season one. Mm -hmm. uh, we mm -hmm. get the matriarch from Angel One uh, that uh, Riker was supposed to not make out with, but made out with anyway. The Bring Lloydy woman, so we get to see, you know, uh, yeah, that's a much more recent uh, thing happening as well. The foot washing. The foot washing, right? Exactly. Starting at yeah, the top. Yeah, yeah. Starting at the top. Good advice for anybody. And then, of course, his his love affair with Minuet on the holodeck. Uh, we get to see that as well. Where was the harp porn? This is what I wanted to know. Like, there needed yeah. to be at least one clip of him 
in his quarters enjoying that that pastime. It's a big part of his life. They didn't appreciate it as much as we did, Kate. <laughs> Motherfuckers. <laughs> I also like I note that they used Deanna as a uh as a crossover from feelings of friendship to feelings of of uh of lust. Mm. Uh, but they stick her very much on the friendship side, which I find an interesting, you know, sort of, but she is sort of the bridge between those two different kinds of memories. They realize that these happy memories or somewhat happier memories, or at least sexy time memories are hurting him. It's making it worse. Just like my mom always told me. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to go blind, Riker. Stop (laughs) thinking about these things. Can you get mental blue balls? Is that like a <laughs> medulla oblongata balls? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then Pulaski has the wonderful idea of being like, well, what if they're uh, the opposite of these happy, sexy time memories? Let's go with horrible combat memories. And so we get a bunch of clips being shown to us of any time Riker was in a fight, basically. I do love that clip of the... Uh oil monster who killed Tasha mm-hmm. pulling him towards its puddle and he's screaming out for help from Worf like that one hit me really hard in watching this and I was I was really impressed with that clip as well as that that once Riker's in the oil his face uh, right. coming up it's still very uh, viscerally gross uh, to yeah. see uh, we get him uh, battling with the Klingons, the one where he was on their ship recently, and uh, the the first episode where uh, Troy's child uh, perishes, uh, all of these things, uh, and the negative endorphins are, uh, you know, they're not they're making the bacteria to grow less, which is good, I guess. That's just science. Science. <laughs> sad, sad cures cancer. Heard it here first. That's canon. Well, and I think the only positive thing about this episode is this idea that they introduce where somehow Pulaski can navigate the memories of Riker's mind and manipulate which ones we get so she can, you know, like cycle out of the pornographic memories into the happy memories into the violent ones. I I was thinking like somewhere in 1989, there's an 18 year old Charlie Kaufman who's watching this (laughs) and going, you know what? That's a good idea. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, you know, like 14 years later, we get Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So if not for this episode, we would not have that uh, movie. And that's a fantastic movie. And that is canon. That is canon. Michelle Gondry and Charlie Kaufman certainly were Star Trek fans. That is a very similar kind of plot to what's going on here. Right. As well as uh, Pulaski's ability to erase memories uh, that was revealed a couple episodes earlier and just thrown away. Like it is combining those two things. Uh, is basically the plot of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's hilarious. Unfortunately, he's getting very weak from all of this. Who would have thought? Uh, It's getting worse. (laughs) But they have to continue going through his memories of pain, uh, which is allowing uh, Pulaski to make all this happen. So we get even more of uh, being attacked by the Ferengi. So we get that uh, scene from uh, very early on in season one. We get the tar creature we mentioned already, Armis, uh, as well as the auto-destruct sequence that Picard and him did very quickly in one episode, if I remember correctly. They're like, oh, we got to blow it up. And uh, this is all supposed to help. But the thing that I, I just want to talk about here real quick is that the first couple acts of this episode seem like a you know a pretty standard 
Star Trek episode. And then in the middle is when the clip show aspect really kind of ramps up. And you can just literally see the moment when they ran out of, out of money. <laughs> <laughs> truth. Just truth. If they'd gone one more day, they would have just shown like uh, storyboards of things. <laughs> <laughs> Like little cuts to white paper with the drawing on it. Yes. Yeah. Like what What was the, the Donner cut of Superman 2? Have you ever seen that? No. It has a bunch of sections in it that are that way. Like it, it's like now you would see this and they play some sound effects over wow. it that they had recorded. But it was a like put together with the material they had. It was really interesting. So basically they take the theory of that these memories are... Uh, helping the situation and then we're like well let's take that up to 11 and then we get these kind of almost terrible dream nightmare sequences like straight out of oh god what was that heroin movie uh oh that one yeah you know the heroin movie like a like a train spotting or something train like that. Spotting, oh, yeah. uh, all that stuff and it gets it, it, it actually also seems like a inspiration for um the star trek acid party all of these images and video is all being cut in such a way to be as terrifying as possible, which scares the organism to death. <laughs> Greg, I totally thought of you and Star Trek yes. Acid Party during this section. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, what if this episode started the exact same way and then just went into Star Trek Acid Party? <laughs> then we would be talking about this as one of the best episodes that ever <laughs> Fair. There is something to be said about really bad art that inspires good art. And I think, you know, we've already talked about Eternal Sunshine. It's Star Trek Acid Party is the pinnacle of human culture. So I think <laughs> we can all say that this episode did that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you can look at any like kids entertainment and some of it is terrible and some of it's wonderful. But the terrible stuff inspires just as many kids to grow up and become incredible creators themselves as the good stuff does. It's it's truly fascinating to see something like this and think of it the way you guys are. Like, it's true that this clip show inspired somebody to make something cool that we all saw. Like, mm -hmm. definitely, even though it sucks. Yeah, you can even go, like, I mean, it doesn't suck. but Like, like the, Jimmy was saying. Yeah. yeah, and the cartoons of, like, The Hobbit and things like that were definitely geared towards... I know uh, you're children. not fucking with the Hobbit cartoons. No, I love them. They're, they're better than the than the full length movies. Agreed. If you ask myself, yeah. but I think that it was it was certainly packaged for children, and yes. it did not. It, you know, ended up inspiring an entire. I mean, you could even say you know generation of fantasists from that one thing, including like Studio Ghibli and and all of like mm -hmm. the, the the things that you can trace back to that. So there's something oh, yeah. to be said about that. So yeah, we get the sequence everything's great again apparently that's all you need to do is just go down this bad trip and uh microdose and maybe that's what we should be doing <laughs> he's once again the happy-go-lucky patient everybody is just being like whoa that was rough for a while there we thought you were gonna die in an hour but uh now you're fine and we once more are uh explained in detail how best to defeat data in a one-on-one -on -one situation all you have to do is tell him a joke and then walk away while he looks around to see if everybody else is thinking that you are serious. Yep. And the joke being he doesn't have the ability to uh, make him an admiral. I guess Picard was trying to say that while Riker was under, he got promoted. It's a really poor joke, uh, really. So maybe just yeah. is responding to that. <laughs> it is a bad joke. 
but uh, it's it's healthy survival uh, rules for the rest of us when confronted with an angry android. It's true, but it's it's the button to this entire season is uh, is data just basically saying like no, I don't think you do that, and they all have a laugh of like ha, 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 oh data, and end of season two. That's it. Didn't have to pay Wesley. Didn't have to pay Wesley. <laughs> So it does not, it's not a cliffhanger. There's no real reason to get into a season three. What did you all think of this send off? Oh, Jimmy, I'll throw it to you. What did you think of this uh, episode? It was terrible. Not the worst one, but it's terrible. Um, I'm going to give it uh, three needles inside the memory manipulating head thingy. The <laughs> Neural stimulator. Did. Strong. Yeah. Strong. Um, and I would. I would go lower, but I believe I gave Code of Honor a one, and I want this to be higher because it sucked due to a lack of creativity and not due to racism. Uh, so that does elevate it actually a little bit, in my opinion. It, it is bad. They should have not done this episode <laughs> and just stopped at 21, uh, but they didn't, and they have to live with that for the rest of their lives carry that burden maurice hurley is upset about this still to this day it's rough shit uh eric what did you think of shades of gray i'm giving it four shut up kids because anytime i get guinan telling wesley to shut up while she flirts with will Riker, i i gotta give it about four it's it's my favorite moment in the series thus far and they were smart to include it in their stupid clip show <laughs> kate Got anything better than that? No, I'm going to give it three tweezered um, thorns on a, on a line. <laughs> I actually agree with you, Jimmy, that uh, it can't be as bad as Code of Honor because I think that deserves the, the lowest ranking spot that we have. Fair. There's better acting than there deserves to be from our, our people that are doing the, doing the sort of book bookended scenes around this like they could have very easily phoned this one in and they and they didn't um so good on the actors for that one because everything else in this episode was phoned in so uh there you go and it did give greg a lifelong fear of telescoping um you know things that could go in your head so we can't got to give it extra points i guess i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Yay for fear and Greg. Yay! Everyone loves fear and loathing in the Starship Enterprise in sickbay. I am going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to go three and a half Ooh. for this one because it is much maligned, you know, across the board for being a terrible show. And it is a terrible episode uh, uh, that feels like a bait and switch when you've got all this believable sci-fi setup. And then halfway through, you're just seeing, you know, scenes from episodes that you've seen over the last uh, two years of watching this show. It does have a lot of weird ideas in it that I don't think are are talked about really well. But I, as we said, it inspired someone to take these themes and ideas and make them better. Uh, so it's got that going for it. And I uh, found myself, like Eric, actually kind of enjoying this walk down memory lane. Once you divorce yourself from like, oh, this is a clip show. It actually, <laughs> actually kind of works as a clip show, even though it is, you know, a kind of I mean, clip shows in general, just kind of poorly made and, and done for budgetary reasons, but this one was at least competent in its clip show-nish um, that had had some stakes in it. So three and a half, definitely a skip. Doesn't feel like a finale in any way. I almost wonder if they were, you know, 
as, as we'll find out in uh, the next season, if they just thought they were going to be canceled. And so they're just like, let's just do what Paramount wants us to do, which is to get this out there with a lower budget. Um, and as Kate said, they at least accomplished it competently, if not uh, well or memorably. <laughs> All right. So that is Shades of Grey. I want to take a little bit of time since we are two uh, seasons in. We've had multiple, multiple episodes of Reengage. Really enjoyed this journey so far and wanted to have a little bit of our own little clip show talking about what our favorite highlights and moments are and then what we're looking forward to in season three. Uh, so I'll go back to you, Jimmy. And, uh, you know, you don't have to give me like a top five or anything, but just like what are, what are some of your memorable moments that you remember more from this rewatch than you did? Uh, uh, because as you, as you said a couple of times, you didn't see a lot of these firsthand growing up. So, you know, what, what sticks out to you now over the last year of, of watching these episodes? Uh, yeah, I couldn't do a top five. That number was was too big for me. So <laughs> I did a top one. <laughs> And that was pretty easy. For me, it was the Borg episode mm. uh, for several reasons. One, we get to see one of the best bad guys in sci-fi, and that's Q. He's right up there. Not not as good as Darth Vader, but a very compelling bad guy. Two, we get to see Q go against Guinan, and Guinan is one of my favorite Star Trek characters. Um, and I love that they introduce a backstory without going into the backstory. So it just makes her even more appealing in her story tantalizing um and it really sets up that episode sets up tng and then the tng movie version because we know what's going to happen down that timeline and that this introduction is is maybe the fulcrum of the tng universe now like this is what it all rests on so that one episode really informs this the star trek the tng universe as much or more so maybe than any episode um, before and after. So it is uh, my favorite episode thus far. Well, you have someone agreeing with you, one of our listeners, Elfnet Doug. They actually say that the season two, season two was great overall, but Q Hugh, uh, which is the one you're mentioning, is their, their favorite due to everything you mentioned with the Borg, uh, the dynamic dream, uh, Picard, Guinan, and Q. Uh, and their eight-year-old watched it with them and was not a Star Trek fan, but thought they really enjoyed that. So that speaks a lot to uh, me watching some of these episodes with my my children. I think that one episode in particular um, speaks to a lot of themes, as you said, that will be continued in Star Trek going forward. Um, and I uh, loved uh, our conversation with Aliza Pearl about that episode uh, in particular. So if you have not listened to that re-engage episode, go back and listen to that uh, because we do delve into a whole bunch of these themes as well as the possibility and of her podcast women at warp Check exactly it's fantastic and i i'm still fingers crossed waiting for her guinan series uh to be pitched and accepted by paramount plus let's make it happen Fuck yeah! cool uh kate what are some of the fond memories you have over these first two seasons of star trek next generation I have so many. In my top five, there's a couple of uh, connected ones. For me, uh, two of my favorites from season one were Coming of Age and Conspiracy, which both deal with, uh, we sort of get the introduction of uh, the conspiracy that we know that something bad is maybe happening in Starfleet. Um, and then we get the uh, the final, like how that how that all 
shakes down with um, conspiracy. Coming of age, of course, um, I would love because it's a Wesley-centric um, mm. where we get also a fabulous guest star. Um, I love being introduced to a new race of aliens during that episode. Um, and it's a, just a very strong episode for both um, Picard and for Crusher. And then conspiracy, some of those images have lived rent-free in my head for 30 years. Hmm. Um, the, those, um, the exploding head, the the little um, stinger in the back of the neck, like the these are all tube. just the little are just all things that have lived in my brain since the beginning of uh, my time with Star Trek. And then my other two are, I had a hard time picking my favorite guest star. And so I go in between all of our wonderful times where we get to have Loxana Troy. Uh, but I also, I narrowed it down to peak performance and the emissary. Mm. Um, peak performance, um, which should have been, in my opinion, the end of the season two. But I just love that guest star. Uh, I'm going to forget his name because I'm Gen X and I don't look shit up beforehand. <laughs> but he, you know, we talked about him last week. So listen to what we said last week because we'll know his name. But also the emissary getting to know more about Worf and that whole storyline. Again, just a fabulous guest star. So those are some of my favorites from the first two seasons. I dig it. I dig it. I And I wish they had ended it with peak performance. I do feel for some reason that feels much more in hindsight, like an ending to a season mm -hmm. rather than uh, what we got here with Shades of Grey. I really loved, as you said, Kate, the introduction of these characters that you you remember them from, from Star Trek that is more contemporary, but seeing the introductions of them is so fascinating and almost feels like archaeology going back to uh, some of these older episodes. So Data Lore from first season, I loved oh, yeah. that through line of how lore was introduced and, and uh, Dr. Noonien Soong and that whole story. Again, that has lots of implications for Picard uh, uh, first season and how that all works. So I super enjoyed seeing how that all played out. For me, another one from season one that is stuck in my brain is Home Soil, the one with the little points of light uh, that are mm. sentient. Those are those are things that have stayed in my brain for, for 30, 40 years at this time. Uh, the line of, of humans being bags of mostly water uh, and and all that has has stuck around. And so being able to go back and watch those with a with a new eye has been super fun and it holds up as a as a great piece of sci-fi there. Um, Arsenal of Freedom was one that for whatever reason I always really enjoyed as well. That's the one uh, where it was all about the uh, capitalization of war and speaks a little bit more to where my political leanings are now on that front and felt very real back then. But now it's like, gosh, we really haven't learned anything in, in, in 40 years. Um, and of course, the I'm forgetting the name again of that guest star, but he was fantastic as the sunken eyed ghost <laughs> uh, hologram. And uh, it was it was a delight to see him because I didn't remember that he was in a Star Trek episode ever. So it was nice to be like, oh, right, this guy, he's so good at it. I'm sure Eric remembers his name, but I don't. I got nothing. I <laughs> uh, Elementary Dear Data was another one that I really enjoyed uh, rewatching this time to see uh, Data's obsession with uh, logic and uh, solving mysteries. It also kind of pulls on those strings of what is sentience and what is consciousness. Uh, I liked P Pulaski is used very well as a foil in that too. Uh, and I wish that she was used more like that throughout uh, where we could see the other character uh, characters develop uh, with arguments with her. Um, not as, as, as 
well done throughout the rest of the episode, uh, season, but I thought this one was the one that, oh yeah, Pulaski actually is a great addition to this cast because of this reason. Um, and also, I just love all the ones where they go back in time, even if it's a holodeck episode, it definitely feels uh, super engaging and fun. Um, and then speaking of that, the Royale is another one that is a fa favorite for me where they're in the hotel and that uh, I know the the writer, which we know now from, from our discussion of it, the writer didn't like how it turned out, but I loved that conception of a mediocre novel being hell and where you are uh, for the rest of your life and the fun of seeing Star Trek characters in their full Starfleet regalia interacting with uh, schmaltzy casino denizens uh, is is something that Alice also stayed with me for a long time. That that the whole scene with Data rolling the dice is something that I uh, fondly remember, and then watching it again was just a joy uh, to see that contrast there. So those are my um, kind of touchstones for the first two seasons. Eric, what do you think of yours? What are some of the memories that hold on to you for for these two st stories? Well, I certainly agree with you about the Royale. I'm a big fan of the time travel ones, and even though that doesn't count, and nor does anything that happens in the holodeck, they do still count. Like they have a a wonderful way to get around the pr the problems and vagaries of time travel that the first series just kind of went fuck it, we're time traveling, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm just uh, like you say the the last two that you talked about, Elementary Dear Data, the Royale with the honorable mention to the. Uh, Dixon Hill. So those those are the ones that that I like best for my countdown until we get to the introduction of Data in Farpoint, mm. which is probably my favorite moment in Star Trek so far. I I think we lost an opportunity, though we got it back a little bit with lore, where in those first couple of scenes, Data is firmly in the Uncanny Valley. He is. We are not sure if there is good or evil ascribed to what his actions are going to be. He seems thoroughly alien and not human at all. And when he looks down at Riker whistling and just goes, marvelous, <laughs> you're like, it's it's something right out of the, the androids and alien and aliens. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're just not sure about him yet. And I think it would have been nice because Brent Spiner certainly has no trouble performing this way. I think it would have been nice to keep Data there for a while. Um, but they made him pretty cuddly pretty fast. Um, again, no real complaints. The guy's a genius. And with cuddly Data, I get to see him do a lot more comedy. And they bring lore back so they get to explore that a little bit. But uh, that's my favorite, I think, moment so far. And then my favorite character is Guinan. It's just there's no getting around it. She's the best thing that Star Trek came up with at this point. I think all the way through, I think she's the best character. And so it's been just a delight to re-examine what she's done in her first season with us. I think we have to do a special uh, mention of what to me is one of the best episodes of all time of, of, Star, of the, all Star Treks, which is Measure of a Man. Mm -hmm. um, just uh, such an amazing episode um, that I was not a part of when you recorded it for posterity for the podcast. So this is me saying out loud, I really like that episode. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good. It was uh, a delight to talk to Kelly Knox, uh, but we missed you, Kate. We wanted uh, to get your input uh, on all of that. Um, and it was such a fun episode uh, because of all of those things of consciousness and the things you're talking about, Eric, of, of playing with is data 
inherently good or inherently bad uh, and and uh, you know or does he have those same rights uh, that we do all that fun stuff uh, is explored there um, definitely a heavy hitter and is a big part of why Star Trek is still loved uh, to this day both from when we were watching it and 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 to where we are now I'm looking forward to uh, season three the common wisdom is that season three is when this series really takes off we don't have as many clunkers although there are still a few they they just hit their stride maybe it is because of the departure of more maurice hurley um and and a new writing staff coming in for season three but it does feel like this series takes off and i do want to give a shout out to what season two does do which i give a lot of the weirdest guest stars you know we had john tesh we had squiggy we had in in some ways Guinan mm-hmm. was a weird guest star that ended up you know working and and coming along uh, and being a part of this. So you get this kind of cultural switch between Star Trek being this niche property to other people from other parts of the entertainment industry wanting to be a part of it because they see the promise of it. And I think now with season three, we get even more people and audiences build to such a point where you know the zeitgeist of Star Trek really kind of takes off because of the strength of this one show's uh, writing. And so. I can't wait to get into that with the three of you. It has been a wonder and a joy to be with you all. And I want to give one final shout. Actually, no, two final shout outs to of, uh, two of our listeners. Uh, one of them, Paul Jackson, emailed us in to note that I missed a very important cultural touchstone moment in 1989, which was the release of the second edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Happened in April of 1989. Thank you so much for pointing that out. It is extremely uh, important for many folks. The implications of that being as the first major release after the departure of uh, Gary Gygax from TSR. Um, so new designers were able to go in and tinker with some of the mathematics behind the system, as well as some shaving off of the serial numbers of devils and demons, which you may remember was part of the satanic bannock back there. So they were called something different. I don't even really remember what they were called, but that Beatazu or something like that, instead of calling them demons, thinking that if you just change the name that, you know, Christians wouldn't mind it as much anymore. Lots of great stuff happening uh, on the D&D front from that. So thank ah. you to Paul for 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 mentioning that. And then uh, a friend of the show, Sharif Jackson, uh, mentioned that time travel ones are some of his favorite as well. He particularly loved the Times Squared episode where we get Picard uh, having a version coming back. And that is a really strange, weird episode uh, as mm-hmm. well. Really the only time you get to see Picard be so emotional. He's uncomfortable with with that situation. And I really loved uh, how that episode played with that. So thanks for... My early list definitely had Picard shooting himself on my top moments of the first two seasons. Even though it's not even the real Picard, right? It's still... It's a copy of Picard from uh, that first season episode where they uh, <laughs> got him from the databanks. <laughs> right. Definitely. <laughs> so many fun vagaries of plot happening uh, in this sci-fi episode and even more to come in season three. Season three is going to be fun. We're going to start it off. Season three is going to be fun. In a, uh, a couple of weeks, we're going to take a bit of a week break here, perhaps even all the way through the end of 2022. Or 2020, <laughs> We're going to take a year long break. No, the end of 2021. Uh, we'll pick it back up most likely in January with new episodes of Re-Engage with the first episode of season three, which is Evolution. It famously opens on a scene of Wesley Crusher sleeping on a desk in the middle of his science project. So oh, we get him back. Yep. Yay. Two more seasons of him. 
We do get both Tony Todd and Dwight Schultz in season three, though, so I'm very excited. Ooh, very exciting. Uh, it has been a wonderful journey with you so far, and I'm looking forward to more voyages, everyone. Wet your pants. My pants are completely soaked. Perfect. With pee, just to be clear. Whoa! <laughs> Keep it vague! <laughs> Thanks for joining our Cultural Bridge officers for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We want to hear from you, our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, hailing frequencies are open. Email letsreengage at gmail.com or you can follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at reengagetng to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun Star Trek things. But you can follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on the gram. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. The music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's Beard to re-engage. Bye-bye.